far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that two of them think doing a podcast called Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea is a pretty neat idea. They are Jeff and Brian. Hi there, this is Jeff, I'm with my friend Brian, and this is our New Year bonus episode! Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian, how are you? Well, I feel like dipping myself in some hot butter and laying around on a plate for a while. <laughs> okay, don't turn into a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here I am, lobster boy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> How many people do you think out there have actually read this little short little clip that we're about to talk about? More than have understood it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. That, that's, yeah. that's an excellent point. <laughs> I know we talked about what we were going to talk about, but I didn't do any kind of introduction, so perhaps you would like to start. Sure. This episode, we are going to talk about the short story titled Young Zaphod Plays It Safe. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about our last episode, Oh, oh, okay. All right. You're a brave soul. <laughs> there was this part that I talked about being confused that okay. the bartender recognized Ford yes. and said, "Hey, you've pulled this before." Mm-hmm. And and it bugged me. Right. But I've I've reconciled it in my mind now. Oh, so okay. So it works. Okay. He was the bartender or owner of a different establishment. Ah, yes. That Ford walked into. There you go. So now he knows that he will actually get the write-up, which is why he gave up so easily and said, that will do nicely. Because uh, <laughs> he's already experienced it, not for the old pink dog bar, mm-hmm. but somewhere else. So that's you... how I've reconciled it in my mind. <laughs> well, that's a perfect answer. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> it bothered me. I don't know why he put that in there mm-hmm. like that and. Or he didn't do it. They did it. Right, right. They did it. It wasn't in the original story. It was in the radio version. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like we said during the podcast, there were a lot of little things that were added, we suspect, by the people who had questions and no answers. (laughs) Right. And so they created more questions. (laughs) Yes, they did indeed. As you said, you know, I'm I'm still mourning Fenny after our conversation. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it is sad that she was a one-off and gone forever because mm-hmm. it she was a good character. Right, right. <laughs> so now we can talk about Young Zaphod plays it safe. Mhm. The first time it appeared was in the Utterly Utterly Merry Comic Relief Christmas book back in 1986. Right. Right. And I know that we had fun trying to track that down. And the only copy that I have happens to be on a, 
I say I borrowed it out of a digital library and then while I was looking through it I actually recorded my screen so that I could go back and refer to it. Oh. <laughs> well, I ended up finding a copy and I have a hard copy sitting over here for my collection. Excellent. Excellent. As I mentioned before, this is also in the Ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide or the Hitchhiker's Guide Omnibus. Mhm. And then it was expanded in the Salmon of Doubt, which was released in 2002. Oh, okay. Expanded. You know, so here, here's my ignorance. I have to ask the question. Expanded? <laughs> uh, expanded by maybe four words. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's funny. If you have them side by side, they're mm-hmm. identical up until the very end. But mm-hmm. because... The people in 2002 may not remember what it was like in 1986, and they wanted to make <laughs> doubly sure that everybody knew who he was talking about, that mm-hmm. they actually put in the name he was talking about, rather than just how he, you know, just describing the person. Right, exactly. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so that doesn't come until the very end, huh? Correct. Everything else is the same. Right. And in the the audio version that we listened to, at least the one that you provided me to listen to, uh, I carefully read through it with the Salmon of Doubt version. And I found that it was identical, except there were missing in the audio version two words. And I can't tell you what they were, but I do know there were two of them. <laughs> oh, uh, the audio version that I sent you was from the Salmon of Doubt. Oh, OK. Well, that's why it was so... Uh, That's why it was the same. In line, yes. Mm -hmm. You read and listened to the expanded version. (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, it didn't take that long. (laughs) No, no, it didn't. (laughs) So what are we talking... We're we're actually talking about in the book version, what, one, two... mm, What's this, a dozen pages, I think, maybe, altogether? About that, yes. Okay. And I think the audio is 25 minutes. There you go. There you go. So we're going to make sure that our conversation about the audio and the uh, version here lasts at least an hour. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So this is a very short story. There's not much to it. Mm -hmm. For me, in general, not very funny. No. It's political satire. It's exactly that. If you substituted Zaphod with another name, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have recognized this as being written by Douglas Adams. You're right. The, that There's very little here of his particular humor. Um, his political bent is definitely here, but uh, right. his humor is missing. Yeah, you were ta- you've talked about his voice a lot, and I found that greatly missing in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting in that respect. I've always liked his development of environment in his prose when he's writing. And it is evident here, but not to the point that he's using humor to deflect from his, I guess, statement. <laughs> right. <laughs> I went online and I looked up a little bit just to kind of get an idea of what other people thought in other reviews. Excellent. And on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy wiki, mm-hmm. I read this. Okay. It said, the comic asides in the story 
include some time travel paradoxes, which are a common running theme in Adam's science fiction work. Mm -hmm. I did not notice any time travel paradoxes. (laughs) And I read it and listened to it after reading this, specifically looking for time travel paradoxes. This is Uh, not a time travel story. Yes. So I don't know where that came from. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. What what could he have confused for a time travel paradox? Um, I'm not sure. Well, perhaps at the, when we when we discuss the end of the book, maybe we can look at that together and see if there's an or the end of the, the little chapter here that we're doing because maybe maybe in that there's time travel issue. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll get into Don't the. Worry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't want to bring up his name because that's like the right highlight of the whole story. Yeah, the highlight. <laughs> I mean, that's the point of this whole right. thing. You know? Right. So. No, I, I've been avoiding his name. <laughs> so now we'll get into the actual story. It starts out describing a spacecraft coming down from the sky and into the ocean, both narratorily. And from the perspective of the seemingly primitive inhabitants of the planet. <laughs> I love seemingly primitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were very, I don't know how to explain it, but did they seem primitive to you? They did, but it's not really a paradox, but it is an issue because the the whole joke that we started off with was about lobsters yes so if the galaxy as we understand it or the universe whichever it is understands that this location is the prime location for lobster correct in the whole of existence then they must have been visited before (laughs) (laughs) right yes Maybe that's the time-shifting paradox that we're that, talking that about. That could be. I, that, to me, is always just more of an error in writing type of a thing. <laughs> the narrator describes the ship that's coming down as looking like a filing cabinet, recently burgled, laying on its back with open drawers in the air. Mm-hmm. I have many problems with this visual and description. Yes. First off... What does a filing cabinet look like that's recently burgled? (laughs) The stuff would be all over. Yes. Not the filing cabinet itself. A filing cabinet with open drawers is an empty filing cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I suppose we're supposed to imagine that leaves and papers and and, uh, folders are strewn about on the outside of the filing cabinet. And Dare we say... Some, but yet somehow detritus? attached. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was avoiding that word just so you would say it, Jeff. Okay. Well, I did. I played right into your hands. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> so, a filing cabinet laying on its back would not be able to have its drawers open. No. So I'm not... <laughs> so everything about that just just bothered me. And again, mm-hmm. he has a spaceship. He does right. not need to describe the spaceship at all. No. The look of the spaceship is immaterial, which mm-hmm. leads me to believe, why did he choose 
to describe it as a filing cabinet with open drawers laying on its back? It's a good question. <laughs> I'll have a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Again, comic relief is the only thing I can think of. Okay, well, we'll go with comic relief for all of these because... <laughs> well, you know, you're right because everybody reading that would assume that the dynamic you know the pressures and and the dynamics of space travel would not allow for a spaceship to be designed that way especially one that's going to be going into an atmosphere which this one clearly is so and under the ocean exactly so it makes no logical sense as you say right so anyway when i am reading political satire everything i don't understand i believe actually is something very important and I just don't mm-hmm. understand it. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, it could be. I mean, they make a lot about, not in this episode or in this story, they make a lot about the Vogons being involved with the civil service and that kind of thing. But this isn't a Vogon ship, so no. I'm not sure why it's it, like a filing cabinet. You know, that doesn't make sense. Right. So the inhabitants that we were talking about being very primitive... He says, just knew it did not look like a lobster because all these <laughs> yes. inhabitants were interested in was lobsters. That's right. <laughs> and apparently where they are, there is very little other than lobster. <laughs> so why lobsters? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then the inhabitants, rather than being afraid of it being mm-hmm. up in the air... Mm-hmm. They were, like, confused as to why it wanted to be in the air and were jumping up and down to show how easy it was to stay on the ground. <laughs> so that's why I described them as primitive, because yes. they didn't understand flying. That is true, and that fits the narrative, as you say. Primitive world. Yes, because lobsters don't fly. Most of them. Most of them, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, unless they have an American Express card. <laughs> exactly, yes. Oh. Oh, so this God. ungainly ship is mm-hmm. owned by Zephod Beeblebrox, and mm-hmm. it is the ship for his company, the Beeblebrox Salvage and Really Wild Stuff Corporation. Right. And he is bringing some officials to the crash site of a ship that was guaranteed 100% not to crash. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so here here we get the Starship Titanic. Yes. And the impossibility of crashing all in one spaceship. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. So the ship that crashed was built like a fortress. Mm-hmm. And the two officials from the Safety and Civil Reassurance Administration, who hired Zaphod to take them to the ship, only would tell him it is carrying byproducts from processes. But don't worry, (laughs) they're perfectly safe. Of course, they're perfectly safe. (laughs) Zaphod does not believe them. He believes they might have something like aorist rods. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Now... Here is where I will say might be the time travel paradox. Okay. Zaphod knew the detour that the ship took when it crashed was to get some lobster. Right. 
Nobody knew that at the time. No. No, they didn't. We find that out later. It's not mm-hmm. a spoiler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is something he could not have known unless the only reason you go to that planet is to get lobster. Exactly. And that's what I assumed was the only reason to go to that planet, since the, the it's you're not going to interact with the people unless you want to buy some lobster. <laughs> so I'll ask again, why lobster? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, it, it's kind of a foreshadowing. I mean, the, the next book we go into, isn't there a whole thing about uh, fa- fragois and geese? There is a little bit about that in there. Yes, yeah, I mean, absolutely. He, he, and there's some obsessions that he has, uh, Douglas Adams, that is that perhaps he just loved lobster that much that that's what he had to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now we come up on the part where there's a good gag that I thought was very Douglas Adams-like. Mm-hmm. Because it's not right in your face. And, in fact, the payoff of the joke is so far after the setup that it might not even sound like a joke. Just two unrelated Uh things that are kind of a joke, but you might miss it because there's so much in between it. Right. Zaphod's ship with the two officials are now under the ocean, and they're looking for this other ship that's crashed and on the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So Zaphod's ship has audio commands. Mm -hmm. And so he just tells his ship, do what I do. Right. And then, after a few moments, the ship sunk to its lowest depths. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so I'm like, well, that. that that was pretty good. That was yep. a Douglas Adams thing yep. that yep. that yep. made a lot of sense. Very made me feel subtle. better about the story. It did. <laughs> you love it when they work hard for a joke, don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> As for the joke, so other than that, if there's supposed to be humor, it seems to rely on scenes of tedious conversation where one of the parties is being obtuse, Mm -hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. Mm -hmm. And he uses this type of thing over and over and over. I think there's a scene like this in every book. Yes. I believe you were correct. Yes. Some work better than others. This was another. (laughs) (laughs) This was another. This was another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I love how they describe them as the reassurance, you know, officer right. yes you know, so, and he's constantly reassuring everyone that just gonna tell you it's okay safe yep. <laughs> so then zaphod asks basically if everything is so safe why are we here mm-hmm. and the officials are concealing the reasons that they want to see the wreck ship that is perfectly safe by saying they like looking at things that are perfectly safe <laughs> it's like oh come on (laughs) well but i do like at least a little bit of narrative that they have when they talk about the fact that they hired zaphod because they knew for a fact that if he were to tell the story of this adventure where they went to this perfectly safe uh, ship and examine this perfectly safe uh cargo that no one would believe him yes yes <laughs> that no matter what he said then no one would believe him <laughs> and they said it right in front of him <laughs> and they even said something like 
he could even say, we just said this. <laughs> and he would even look more like a paranoid. Right. And uh, which part of the movie is that? <laughs> right. This is now. <gasps> the part of the movie yeah. we're in is now. Now. <laughs> I love that scene. Oh. <laughs> we haven't talked about space balls in a while. No, we haven't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's a time paradox. <laughs> yes, there's the time paradox. <laughs> oh gosh. So the ship they are after is described, and it's supposed to be the most secure and impregnable spaceship ever built. Mm-hmm. It also mentioned that before it was launched, this specially reinforced area around the hold was subjected to all kinds of batterings and strains just to show how impenetrable it was. Right. This is the area of the ship that failed. (laughs) And I think the presumption here is that they weakened the hull, demonstrating how strong it was. Exactly. (laughs) They battered and bashed it to the point where it actually broke when it didn't need to. (laughs) And the name of the ship is the Starship Billion Year Bunker. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you would say that, because I knew I would mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) They've reached the bottom. They've put on these... I don't know, underwater gear, spacesuit types of things. And they go over to the ship and they enter the ship. And as they're going deeper and deeper into the ship, one of Zaphod's heads is watching Brocky and Ultra Cricket. So right. so Zaf, the other head was like, oh, good. He's distracted. We don't have to worry about him. He's watching the game. Mm-hmm. But he gets so far into the ship that the signal was cut. Mm-hmm. So he had to change to the rock video station because that gets everywhere. <laughs> right. So this must have been in the heyday of MTV. Oh, when it must have been. Yep. Music videos could not be avoided. That's right. That's right. So then Zephod and the officials, they go through the last door and they enter this big area. And they come across a member of the crew from the ship in mm-hmm. an emergency suspension tank. Right. The look of horror on the face of the guy in the tank made Zaphon sit down quickly, and he sat down on another crew member's dead body, which we will say popped. (laughs) (laughs) And then Zaphon passed out. Right. (laughs) Yeah, this was kind of uh, uh, unnecessary and overly graphic, right? (laughs) Yes, it was. And the timeline has only been six months. Mm-hmm. and they're underwater mm-hmm. and the ship was flooded when they got there and they had to purge all the water and fill it with air and the water would be probably like 33 degrees right so the body would probably be pretty well preserved and not into the bloated thin-skinned popping phase when they arrived <laughs> You are correct. (laughs) Now, I don't know what would happen with all the pressures and decompressions that had to go on. Right. That could have been a factor. Yeah, did they imply that there was water in the ship before they got in there? Because I thought they went through a series of airlocks and then said something about the air being not so fresh or... 
there was a line that said they had to pump out so much pressure of water and replace it with so much pressure of air. Okay. Or they didn't say air. They said oxygen and inert gases or something like that. So, So, yeah, they did get rid of the water. And put in the air, and then yes, they did go through a whole bunch of airlocks on the way to get right. right. So, so maybe that repressurization is what caused the body to inflate and become disgusting. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Zephyr did wake up after passing out, mm-hmm. they do a whole lot of nastiness describing the scene with his inner organs and fluids all over the ceiling and walls and floors. And Zephod throwing up in not one, but two <laughs> spacesuits. Yes. <laughs> we are told the scene inside the ship with guts all over is very nasty. So nasty, in fact, that it will not be mentioned again, except for this little <laughs> bit of nastiness. And then he goes on and on and on and on <laughs> with more nastiness and then just says, okay, that's it. <laughs> and again, I'm not sure what that was all about. Uh, again, I guess it was meant to be funny, but it was more disgusting than funny. Uh, yes, absolutely. So here is where the crew member in the suspension tank blamed the crash on the dead crew member, saying he was crazy and wanted to detour to get some lobster. So this is where we find out what the detour was for. Mm-hmm. So Zaphod, Time Paradox... Figured it out somehow. There you go. <laughs> well, like you said, uh, yeah, we, we, we suspect this is the only reason people visit this planet. And it's right. definitely been visited before, but oh well. And the guy in the tank said he tried to talk him out of it. And then he went on and on and on about lobsters. <laughs> and he kept saying, I'm going to stop talking about lobster soon, I promise. I just have to tell you about this part of the lobster story. Yeah. <laughs> on and on and on and on, just like that. But he prefers scallops. <laughs> yes. And even though he must not have had a good lobster then, right? Right. So I got it. So it was his fault. Because <laughs> he oh saying God. he likes scallops better made the guy say, oh, you've not had this lobster. But I do like the implied line there where the safety inspector or, or the guy in the tank says, oh, my gosh, I've finally been found and saved and, and I, I've been found and I'll be saved. And the guy said, well, you have been found. Right. <laughs> yes. Implying, yeah. We're not going to save this guy. We're not going to save you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little morbid. <laughs> yeah. So Zaphod finds out that there are Aorist rods on board, and they are used for the mining of energy out of the past. Ah, uh, now I think we're talking about the time paradox stuff. Right. When it was discovered that those in the future were using the rods to mine energy from them, the rods and the secret to their construction had to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I did like this line. They claimed it was for the sake of their grandparents and grandchildren, but it was, of course, for the sake of their grandparents' grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandparents. (laughs) Basically, them. Yes. (laughs) 
Yes, because, you know, the paradox part was that whenever they discovered this function, they went back in the past and stole the energy, and then the people in the future did the same thing to them, and everybody was getting messed up. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that, I guess, would be the time paradox that they were talking about. I guess so. So the ship's hold was intact, and the rods were perfectly safe. But there was worse on board. Mm-hmm. Many other holes had compounds that could kill a planet with a teaspoonful. Right. But those weren't the problem, because no one is really crazy enough to use them. Mm-hmm. No one, at least no one that crazy, would ever get near them. Anyone that mad or dangerous rings very deep alarm bells. People <laughs> may be stupid, mm-hmm. but they're not that stupid. (laughs) Yep, that was all for setting up the punchline, right? Yes. (laughs) However, what they were worried about were these designer people with synthetic personalities. Yep, and didn't you think they were going to start talking about Marvin at that moment? I did. I thought they were going to go through that and say that this was a spinoff or a tangent from the genuine people personality. Mm Mm-hmm. But no, most of the designer people were pathetic misfits. Again, Mm -hmm. Marvin would have fit right in there. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The three most dangerous were identical ones, which were to be disposed of with the other items. Even though they are not evil and are actually simple and charming, there is nothing (laughs) that they would not do if allowed and Mm -hmm. nothing they would not be allowed to do. (laughs) Uh uh-huh so if one of them got loose and had any real power they would be in danger from all the things no one is crazy enough to use (laughs) okay what i don't understand is why were there three of them that's a good question why were there three identical ones that one gets away i don't know yeah, that's a good question, but, you know, they were designer people. I guess they didn't know if they would have a good result the first time, so they did three at a time. I don't know. doesn't make sense. Right. It's another one of those things that I feel it has a meaning, but I right. can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So from the original text, here's where they do a variation. The description of them is expanded, so there's no mistaking who he is referring to. Mm-hmm. One of the designer people escapes, jumps in the escape capsule that was for the crew before they were going to jettison the ship into a black hole, and the capsule was heading toward Sector ZZ9, Plural Z Alpha. -Alpha. (laughs) And they're perfectly safe. (laughs) The main addition to really spell it out is that they said the capsule contained a Reagan. (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah that's the big punchline right there at the end yes at the end zaphod heard the official issue instructions that the planet in zz9 plural z alpha must be made perfectly safe right so this short story gives us some insight on why zaphod was in cahoots with gag hellfront and the vogons Mm-hmm. being one of the people to give the order to destroy the Earth. Right. Right. To get rid of Reagan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the intention, I think, of this particular chapter. But it, it's funny that why did they feel like they needed another excuse for blowing up the Earth? Well, Zaphod was, I, well, we'll call it a retcon or whatever, because mm-hmm. Zaphod was listed as being one of those in charge, but it was the psychologist. And Zaphod, right. I am sure, could care less about knowing the answer and the future of psychiatry right exactly exactly but this story is before he partitioned off his brain mm-hmm. but i don't know why this information would need to not be known right as his motive right right but it clearly indicates that um i mean if you think about it what when was the uh christmas book written what year was it 1984 right 86 86 i'm sorry So I guess it does remind us of the fact that we were very much aware of the possibility of nuclear war. um, Yeah, the Cold War was strong. Right. And there was a great deal of fear. And I'm sure they felt that Reagan was too ignorant to understand what he was doing. Uh, And that's why... That was the general consensus, yeah. Right. So that's why he's chosen for this particular jab. (laughs) Right. So... uh, I don't know. Kind of interesting, kind of fun. It was definitely different. Mm-hmm. He did try to fit it in to the later stories, like I said, with giving Zaphod a reason. Mm-hmm. But what I guess I don't understand about that being his reason is the Earth was a nothing primitive thing. Right. And if the Reagan was left to its own devices, what would he have done? He would have destroyed the planet that's what we assume yeah so the answer to having him not destroy the planet was to destroy the planet to destroy the planet (laughs) yeah we we needed another reason in order to understand (laughs) why the planet needed to be destroyed (laughs) but it's a plural so we don't need to worry about that anymore (laughs) yes it all fits into the multiverse but the, the other part of that though is that For motivation purposes, I'm not sure I understand that because he is the captain of this ship who's been hired to find out this information. Now, maybe at that time or later on, we're to assume that he was then hired or or coerced into being responsible for the uh, destruction of the Earth. But obviously, that's never been made clear in anything we've read. No, Uh, if my timeline on that would be he was on this mission he learned of this reagan he heard that the planet had to be made safe he figured the best way to do that is to destroy it so he met up with zarni whoop and gag and they came up with this plan and then he sectioned off that part of his brain so he forgot all about it and just became the fun-loving playboy who became president to steal the ship. <laughs> right, but Zarni Whoop's motivation was to see the people who actually rule the universe. Right. And then the the psychologists were to get rid of the answer, or the question, rather. Right, yeah, so that's right. So every, everybody's motivation is slightly different. So, and, but I do and think they don't it, overlap. No, no, no. And, but I do think it's kind of interesting that perhaps Seyfod's reason for visiting the Earth... Maybe to see if he understood the effects of Reagan on the planet. Right. Right. And where he met Trillian. 
Yeah, exactly. We're or Arthur, sure. depending on your version of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have now an open mind for all the possibilities out there, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep, time travel. Yeah, it reminds me, I was watching um, Strange New Worlds yesterday, and they that that's all wrapped together in time travel. It's, yes. It's kind of interesting how they play it. I've not seen the latest season. No, no, it's 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 pretty good. I will see it sometime. Not sure when. <laughs> when I come visit. Yeah, there you go. I've got it all available for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so one more question that I had about that, Jeff, about the whole thing is the title. Okay. Why do you suppose he calls it Zaphod Plays It Safe? You know, that was kind of a question that I had myself after I mm -hmm. got to the end, because I thought that Zaphod was going to do something to play it safe. Mm -hmm. But all he did was overheard them talking about it, the earth being need to be made perfectly safe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what we're trying to imply here, that the title is the implication of what he does next. Playing it safe by giving that order to destroy the earth. So that that's kind of the only thing I could come up with. But yes, all in all, I'm glad I've read it because it is part of the Hitchhiker's universe. But mm -hmm. more questions than answers. <laughs> more <laughs> questions than answers. Yep, it is a bit throwaway, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> What's next, Jeff? <laughs> well, as I mentioned... This in the Hitchhiker's Omnibus or the Ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide was sandwiched between So Long and Thanks for All the Fish and Mostly Harmless. Mm -hmm. And so since we've already done So Long and Thanks for All the Fish and then we've done this, Mostly Harmless is what's going to be next and will come out on the first Thursday of February. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how time has flown. Can yes. you? I can't really. I really can't. <laughs> Is it time now to say goodbye, Jeff? So I will say goodbye, and to everyone out there, stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's playing it safe. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea. Look for us the first Thursday of every month for a full episode. We will also release a bonus episode later in the month. A very special thanks goes out to Luke, Max, Greg, and Tim Lesnick for arranging and performing our opening theme. We would also like to thank our talented friends and family for their voice work on our introductions and commercials. Visit our website at digitalwatchesareaprettyneatidea.buzzsprout.com where you can find links to all my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy-inspired t-shirt designs. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube as Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea, on Instagram as Watches Idea Podcast, and on Twitter at Watches Idea. If you'd like to contact us, our email is digitalwatchespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>